Hello, everybody. Welcome there this evening. I am your host, Kazik Barada of the American Hinged Radio YouTube channel. I am really excited to have on Sherilyn Holloway, uh, founder of Pro Black, Pro Life YouTube channel and website. Um, if you could just go ahead and give yourself a quick little, you know, couple sentence blurbs before we start to talk about it. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll get into it further for sure. I'll ask you a deeper question after this. Yeah, sure. No, I'm the founder of Pro Black for Life. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based out of Ohio. We are worldwide. Um, and yeah, this is what I do all the time. <laughs> That's really awesome. What I really liked about your channel is that it's really dedicated focus to this one issue, pro black, pro life. Everything about it is like dead right on the nose. So I wanted to ask you what what motivated you to found this channel? What what is your journey onto this? kind of path or if you've just always been a devout Christian let me know what's your devout would probably be a, a stretch um so I was raised Christian I, um I probably didn't even become a devout Christian I would say till about uh, I'd give myself 2011 um I I wanted to be a devout Christian but the Lord had to do some things and I, <laughs> and I had to be obedient to those um and so yeah, what put me on this path was I'm originally from Oberlin, Ohio. It's where Oberlin College is and very uh, liberal, liberal arts school. And, and we were kind of this bubble in the middle of a very uh, red county at times, depending. But um, there was some gerrymandering there. Um, and so, you know, we grew up just really focused on racial justice and any injustice at that and that you should speak up. We were a stop on the Underground Railroad, so it's in our history. Um, and I have an abortion story. So at one point in time, the Lord was just like, Hey, what you're doing is not your story. I really would like you to use your story. And I was like, how? And that's when I entered into the pregnancy center world and kind of my eyes were open to a lot of different things, but mainly the abortion numbers in the black community. And, um, they really tied in. And so that's, um, one morning I woke up and the Lord was like, the time is now. And I was like, okay, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to start making videos. And I was like, I think that if it hadn't been COVID in 2020, um, I would have thought that was stupid, but because of the lockdowns, like you run out of things to watch. Right. So my kids are all watching YouTube. So I, ha I have eight kids and two grandkids and they're all watching YouTube. And I'm like, so you're just watching videos all day, like random videos all day. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, that sounds dumb. And so, um, and I'm not a TV watcher. So like, it just seemed like the biggest waste of time to me, but you know, you don't have anything else to do. You can't go anywhere. So I was like, let me see what's on YouTube. And I, you know, I got sucked into recipes and uh, like old detective shows. <laughs> um, and so by the time the Lord had spoke that to me, I was like, oh, well, YouTube is the second largest search engine. Like I can understand why this would be relevant. I didn't know what I was going to do or what I was going to talk about, but I understood like this platform makes sense. That's, that's like a really interesting story because I kind of, I can't say I've always been exactly pro-life, like as a male, like I'm 34 right now. Like we feel so often we have no place in this discussion, right? So I had something happen to a friend about a year, almost a year ago, where he was placed into a coma due to a motor motorcycle accident. And I just feel like I had a real reckoning with my life, things I've done wrong. I started to realize the things that were the foundations of my depression. And I 100% keep going back to this moment when I was 20, almost 21 with my 
girlfriend at the time where we went through this and I wasn't exactly a passive voice <laughs> against the said abortion. Unfortunately, I was in the middle of college. I bought into a lot of the liberal BS. Well, I, I bought into all the lies of the tropes they tell you that you can't do as a young man, right? You know, so that that's kind of my story. That's why I wanted to talk to you about this. I also linked up with Bud and Tara Shaver. Uh, they have this ministry out here called No Sidewalk Without the Savior. So a couple mm-hmm. months ago, I started um, hanging out at the UNM Reproductive Health Center in Albuquerque. But it's a uh, they're coming under fire right now because not only are they remaining uh, funded by the city, you know, to the tunes of two hundred fifty thousand per year as voted on by our city council, UNM also helped cover up the death of a young woman in her mid-20s named Keisha Atkins to the tune of $1.26 million. And that's only recently being brought to light. So I go out there for an hour, you know, prayer vigil on the sidewalk. And that's kind of what I do and why I wanted to talk to you about it, I guess. And it sucks because during COVID, whenever you get into a disagreement with somebody over any kind of politics, you're really quick to be labeled a white supremacist or this or that because you just might be simply pro-life or Christian you might not necessarily be political, but, you know, I, it's a weird time we're in, right? <laughs> Especially after COVID. Well, I mean, COVID and after the reversal row, that that middle ground, that bottom just completely fell out of that. And, Absolutely. You know, I think that I do have an advantage, which is rare <laughs> as a Black woman. I do have an advantage because we are very centered in this conversation. So it's hard to be silenced, right? It's hard to say that like my voice and my past experience and my knowledge doesn't have, I don't, I don't have a say um, because everyone is saying, let them have a say, right? And so, um, but we never, I have never in my life, like politics have just never been something I've been interested in. I've just always kind of just like, eh, like, I, I don't know what those people are doing. <laughs> like nothing ever seemed to get done. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so- you know, it just always felt like people fighting, right? Like people fighting, so busy fighting, nothing's getting done. It's pro wrestling. Yeah. And I just was like, you know what? I don't really have time for that. <laughs> and so we really try to focus on how do we take the political stance out of this and make this, you know, an individual just, you know, fight. Like, why are you pro-life or why are you pro-life and not saying you're pro-life? And it's kind of exactly. what said. like people, you know, the black community did not want to be put in certain boxes with certain groups, um, you know, with the fear that they were going to be told that they are, you know, focused on something that's not in their best interest. And so how do we change that narrative to say that the issue is really not about, you know, any of these other things, the issue is really about life. Um, and having a consistent life ethic, being consistent with how you feel about life. Because when I go out and talk, that's the biggest argument is that they're like, I just feel like there's inconsistency. I'm like, there's absolutely, there's inconsistency everywhere, Um, you know, everywhere. And so to be consistent is probably the more difficult thing (laughs) because you have to wrestle with all those things that you felt like, you know, you had under control or you thought were true or that were comfortable in your friendship setting or your family setting, right? Like you have to be like, well, I just don't understand if I, if we feel this way about this, why don't we feel this way about this? Um, And yeah, so that was a big reason why pro-Black, pro-life was started was just to have a space where being pro-life was not seen as anti-Black. And, you know, I, I really wasn't, concerned about people thinking that being pro-black pro-life meant that I was anti-white 
in pro-life. I don't know. I wasn't really concerned because I had spent enough time in the pro-life movement hearing people complain about, you know, the black community's, you know, lack of involvement that you don't get to tell me how I get to be involved. Like, (laughs) so, you know, this is what I feel like is important. This it's connected. I feel like racial justice and the abortion issue are connected, um, but they're not connected in a straight line. You know, they're connected circular. And so if we, want to be consistent, then we're going to be heard. If we want to be inconsistent, then we're going to be frustrated. And so in order for us to try to reach out and to um, reach out to other people in, in the Black community and have these conversations, they have to understand that we have their best interests at heart, no matter where they are in their life. Because most people don't think about abortion as much as I do, <laughs> um, you know, unless they know somebody's pregnant, right? Like in the last, what, four to six months. Yeah. It's, you know, been all, it's been in front of us, but honestly, you know, even if I look at my Facebook feed, like it's just, people are trying to figure out how they're going to like pay for groceries and their kids' colleges and, you know, school supplies and all these other things where if you're not, if they're not pregnant, then they're not, you know, thinking about abortion. So I always have to keep that in mind because like I said, it's always at the forefront of everything for me. For sure. That's a good segue into kind of what I talk about now, but you know, there's a certain very prominent billionaire, Elon Musk, right. Who's kind of been sounding the alarm about birth rates. But I think if we know our history about the American birth control league and its origins, you know, funded by people in the Royal society, Malthusian league, this idea where, there's always a surplus of unwanted or undesired individuals. We've got to somehow try to engineer how to how to get rid of essentially in our society. This is kind of going to be like the longer form part of this. So feel free to take this any direction you want. But what do you think about do you think this has been a directed effort ever since, I guess, the early stages of globalization to kind of I'm not saying eliminate like American minorities per se, but we've seen an increase in immigration to this country at the same time while they're telling us not to have children. So I wonder if this ties into what you're talking about, the great replacement and some of those things. Well, I think that it, I mean, it goes so far back and it's global, it's global. And I always have this idea, this like conspiracy theory that there are like powers that be right. People want to be in power. People want to be in control. Like people want to be not to be the one that's suffering. Like people, (laughs) you know, we all have a a certain lifestyle that we want to keep, or, you know, we want to keep for our children, our children's children. I think that we are like, if we back it out and widen the lens, we are seeing this on like a global scale. Um, And I, I think that what we see happening is what is would be considered negative eugenics. And I think that there was a backfire <laughs> when, you know, white women wanted to have birth control when it was illegal and then, you know, soon to be abortion. And, and they saw like, wait a minute, they're having way more, you know, because number wise, number wise, yes, 60% of the abortions that are had are had by white women, but because That's true. they outnumber Black women that, you know, 13, 13, 14 percent in the black community is very is dominating, is bigger because of how less people we we are. And so um, the idea that they're having abortions, too, like how do we, like we can't, you know, the, the initial issue with overturning Roe versus Wade. And we're talking like 10, 15 years after it immediately started was that 
what's going to happen to these states like Mississippi, Georgia, that the majority of the abortions are happening with Black women? What's going to happen to our numbers then? And the idea was that it's going to be overrun by Black people. So when we see this halt, right, like there's been numerous times the Supreme Court could have overturned Roe, you know, Casey versus Planned Parenthood. Um, Justice Robertson did not vote to overturn Roe. He was the deciding factor <laughs> to not overturn it. And so, you know, we have to ask, like, for me and what we do, we have to ask ourselves why. Like, why are these things happening? And so now what we see is this idea of that if we overturn this, then are we now going to have those that 60% back? And so even though, you know, the conversation is centered around Black, you know, Black women and what Black women need and what poor women need, that's not going to be, that's not the issue, right? Why are states rapidly trying to over to have abortions illegal in their states? Because they don't want other wealthy white women traveling to their states, right? Like we see money being poured into like having these abortion funds for poor women and, oh, we'll take you there and we'll do all these things. Listen. I don't know <laughs> any, I don't know any black woman who's going to get into a van that pulls them in front of her house that says they're taking them to the unabortion clinic in Indiana. Right. Like, I just feel like in my spirit. That's so, that's, that's so interesting. I just want to flash this really quick. Here's an overlay, but this is from the 1910s or 20s. These were eugenic sterilization laws. And look at the states where the darker the shade is the heavier the laws. You know, it's Kansas. Looks like there's North Dakota somewhere, California, Nevada, New York, Wisconsin, Michigan. It's kind of been historically the same kind of areas. It's like what you said. It's um, I learned that, you know, in Southern states, I think that, you know, their children are less likely to be aborted or even put into foster care for that matter, you know, through the system. You know, the Bible Belt is what we call it, right? But it, that's that's a good point. What you mentioned, it's like it's not people, it's not any Mexican women that are going to be traveling to California. Well, New Mexico, you don't have to, right? You get late late term yeah. abortions recommended. It's insane. We already have abortion tourism. You see different license plates at the abortion clinics. We're not allowed within a certain amount of of the clinic. It's pretty funny. Yeah, there's. I forget what that law is. Um, I don't know what it is. It's ridiculous. What the name of the law is, but. Um, yeah, where you can't like, even if it's like a public sidewalk, there's like a certain um, amount of feet you have to be. Well, they get really mad. We had the six week trigger law. Um, so that went into um, effect from what I have heard or seen, like no, no one's trying to fight it. There's nothing. Um, I don't know if they did. Everybody just gave up. and was <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> That's in Ohio, huh? It's been very, very quiet. Crazy. Oklahoma has a pretty uh, heavy ban too. They're not getting any pushback too much. Let me see. I want to ask you about, I saw something pretty alarming on Instagram. Apparently the ACLU is now officially advocating for um, the same drugs that are given to castrate sex offenders to children transitioning, right? So I wanted to ask you is like, there's been some links between Planned Parenthood and some of this organization. Do you think it's part of the same kind of overall agenda to nullify birth rates in in minority communities? Do you, do you see these issues being intertwined at all? I mean, so from an like intellectually honest point of view, I feel like it would have to be, right? Like I feel, I just, all, there's always pieces of the puzzle that don't necessarily can touch, right? But they're still part of the same picture. Um, 
I don't know much about it because it's not my wheelhouse. Um, but I do, I always think that everything is, it's like the human body. Everything is always connected. Everything always works together. Um, I think that it's interesting that, um, I, I don't always think it's what we think it is though. <laughs> right. That's what I would say. I think, I feel like the E that would be like the easiest, the easiest answer. Right. So I don't necessarily know if that's the, you know, and I don't necessarily know that people who are doing, who are actively involved, like, you know, grassroots level, like even understand the full magnitude, right? Because they honestly think they're just working for one thing. You know, the conversation I always have with people is like, you know, abortion workers really think they're doing the right thing. Like in their their heart, they, they feel like they're really helping women. So like what type of life experience or, you know, they have, they had, that would lead them to that place. And I feel that way about everything. I feel that the puppet masters are people that we don't see. You know, I feel like they're the people that we don't see. They're the people that give the messaging. And I think the messaging comes from everywhere. I do not believe there is a typical, like, safe place to receive information. And having had numerous conversations with journalists over the last six months, I've said that. Like, I just don't feel like there's a place to receive safe information because everyone has an angle. We have an angle. Like, everybody has an angle. Um, and so trying to figure out, like, what this person is doing or what, you know, what is behind this person is so much bigger. Um, and it, it could be, it could have things that we don't even know. Like we hear, you know, global warming and all these other things that are happening is too much for our human minds <laughs> to try to grasp. And they know it. Um, they know it. And so for me, I just have to be grateful that there are people, um, you know, that are led by God in every individual space doing what they're called to do in those spaces um, so that I don't feel burdened to do it all. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a, that's a pretty heavy task. I wanted to ask you also, um, so a lot of conservatives online, a lot of people who, who are Christian or claim to be Christian, they think this is a huge victory with Roe versus Wade. I wanted to ask you what a victory looks like in your eyes, because obviously the work is not done, but what is your what, what would your immediate five to 10 years look like in this country if you had your way or if things turned out? If I had my positive, way, there would be um, a stronger community stronger community involvement, um, stronger church involvement. You know, during the Great Depression, the church is punted to the government and we're just like, hey, it's too many people to help. We don't have the funds. We don't have, either you give us more money or like you give them money. And the government's like, fine, we'll give people money. Don't worry about it. And it never came back, right? And so even there are churches and churches have ministries, but they can't do everything either. You know, and even churches that try to do everything, you know, these mega churches, they're like talk bad about, right? Like they're too big. They're doing it like, like, yeah, I don't know if this person... I don't know anything about theology, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I don't know if this person's preaching something crazy, but I do know he gave, they gave 12 point something million dollars to like aid, you know, like whatever. So, you know, like everybody can't do it all. The no, typical church can't do it all. And so understanding what's happening in your community, who's in your community, how can, I feel like we've become so individualistic specifically as Americans, because we were born with certain rights and those rights we, you know, fiercely protect, right? 
But at some point in time, as Christians, we have to understand like our job as good stewards, what stewardship really looks like, what servitude really looks like is not focusing so much on my personal right and focusing on how can I help my neighbor? Like, how can I help my neighbor, even if it means inconveniencing myself, even if it means make I'm, you know, now a little uncomfortable, how can I help my neighbor? And I feel like that as believers, as Christians, like we need to look at it from a biblical standpoint. What I typically see is like nation first, family, then Bible, right? Right. And how we, they try, people try to mash it all together to make it make sense, you know, because again, like our brains weren't meant for this. Like our brains are meant for critical thought and higher level thought, but we have been so inundated with so much information that it's like a scramble up there. We don't even stopping and reflecting and being like, hmm, you know, I used to feel up this way very strongly about it, but is that, you know, truly the way I'm supposed to see that? Like, you know, no, the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about X, you know, but you read it enough times, <laughs> you know, it's going to speak to that, you know, specific thing. Um, and so I, I just feel like for me in five to 10 years would be a nation that was more communal and less focused on rights, less focused, less focused on winning, less focused on, you know, who's trying to dominate, what's trying to happen, because it's us, right? We're the, it's us. It's not them up there doing anything. Like, again, like I can vote for whoever I want to vote for and pray that they're going to do the thing I think they're going to do, you know, and think that they're doing it. But in all honesty, like my daily life, my my everyday life is surrounded by the people that are surrounded by me. You know, there are people that actually touch and have impact on every single day. And of course, that's grown substantially over the last two years. Um, but I want to continue to be relational and community and not transactional. And because that is how we build, you know, a better nation. That's how we build a better society is one that is so less self-centered. Yeah, I really like everything you just said there. We're coming up at the end of your time, but is there anything that we didn't talk about that you really feel like you got to, or just go ahead and tell people where we could find you? Um, yeah, so um, I'm on YouTube, Pro Black, Pro Life. It's my face. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of videos, a lot of fun content on there. And feel free to interact. I do respond. Um, if you want to know more about what we do, you can go to ProBlackProLife.com. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at ProBlackProLife1619 for both. I am on Twitter at Hollow 12 I'm more of a lurker. I haven't figured Twitter out. Like I, oh, I man. feel like people just get on there and say, like throw something against the wall and then wait to see. Man, it's a game changer if you can navigate it for your show, but it's a, it's a hell hole. <laughs> Twitter's a hell hole. I had a friend say like, oh my gosh, you can have conversations with people on Twitter. You would never have. I was like, I don't know if I want that. It's oh like, yeah, you will. <laughs> and you'll get pictures sent to you. You never asked for. <laughs> see, I don't need that in my life. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's how you can find us. We have a huge um, giving campaign coming up um, on Sundays called Give 828. It is just um, an organization that decided that they were going to do a day that people give to black led organizations and they're focusing on racial justice. Um, and we had to like apply to be a part of it. Um, <laughs> and so they said yes. And so here we are. And we're just really hoping that, you know, the pro-life community just shows up um, because, again, the main thing I hear is that 
pro-life people don't care about black people. And I know that's not true. I've been in the, I've been doing this for a long enough time to know that that's not true. Um, but it's just an opportunity to, you know, give and um, have me say thank you. Um, if you want to talk to me or meet with me more, I will do that too. Um, you probably have, you have to go through my, you have to go through Heather. Um, <laughs> Uh, because she's much better at scheduling. <laughs> Trust me, um, as you can see. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I said, I'm really um, personable, really easy to talk to and get along with. And, you know, I answer questions. There is a question that I, in the um, comments that I did want to answer, if that's okay. Is it this one right here? Yeah. I got some trolls on here once in a while. So well, let's see. Okay, we'll still, we'll, we'll answer it. And then, yeah. Anything else that's <laughs> that type of thing. But how can pro-life be anti-black? And so pro-life as a term does not mean anti-black. But typically, um, oh, you came late. I'm sorry. Cato's uh, great. He has great history <laughs> shows. You gotta check him out. I'm sorry. Um, and and so the narrative that has been painted of the pro-life movement itself has been very, very white evangelical or very, very white Catholic. And so, um, and typically white male, I still, my brain still explodes. Anyone who's like, I don't know why we're still letting men make decisions. And I'm like, do we do you guys just like regurgitate whatever people say? <laughs> um, and so because of that, and because again, people aren't invested in finding out more information, they just go with whatever they've heard or whatever they, you know, think. But if you look at who had, you know, from this, from a political standpoint, because that's, again, how the nation has painted the picture of the abortion issue. They, the government has painted the picture as it being a, a political issue. We have not. And so if we're looking at it from a political standpoint and what they see and who they see advocating these pro-life values and, or this pro-life view, they don't look like them. And so to them, they feel like, well, clearly, they're not voting for things that are helpful in my community, you know, on the Senate or house floor, they're, you know, saying things that are questionable, <laughs> you know, to the black community. So clearly that to be pro-life means that you're not um, advocating for your community, but also as, as a black woman um, who understands history and the history of enslaved women, they didn't have control of their bodies. So they were used as commodities to make more commodities. And so for Black women themselves, the issue of um, having access to abortion is more of a control issue. It's about not wanting to give that control to anybody else legally because they've already done, they've already gone past that rodeo. And so having that understanding and that knowledge, whether you would, you know, agree with whether or not abortion should be legal or legal or legal, but understanding that that did happen, that's historically accurate. And they have every right to feel like, I don't want to go backwards. Like this is terrifying. Um, and so, you know, that's another reason why being pro-life could be seen as anti-Black, but that's also understanding the pro-life narrative from an idea of just birth not necessarily like a whole life, you know, consistent life ethic where life itself, all life born and unborn has value. Um, no matter where they are, no matter what their circumstances are, no matter what their life choices have been, that they, that because we are image bearers of God, that we have value. Man, you sound a lot like Thomas Aquinas right there. You sound a lot like natural. That's exactly 
natural law in a nutshell. It's, I think there's a reason why it's <laughs> kind of been a preeminent philosophy in our Western civilization, but you know, that's a different tangent. I really appreciate you <laughs> coming on. Um, yeah. We'll have to have you on again. I'm looking forward to see what you do. And I'm really glad that we were able to have this conversation because me as a half white, half Mexican male, I've been told I can't talk about it. So I, I really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. See you guys later.